And so when we pulled up into the teacher's parking lot with the bus, and there are a bunch of buses in big black letters across the brand new brick on that school, it said, N-word, go home. N-word, go home. I'm like, what? So we walked in the building and there was a group of white guys standing watching us come in and it just ticked me off really bad. So I'm like, what are you looking at? And they didn't say anything, which is good. And we just kept on walking. But that day, probably in the afternoon, was the first race fight. Hi, this is Dr. Liang Kang, and this is GRPS Uncovered. In episode two, I interviewed Jerry Bentley, who began kindergarten in GRPS in 1957. Jerry attended South High School for a year before it was closed and was bused to Union High in 1968 as a part of Grand Rapids' racial integration plan. This was a controversial plan since the city was closing down a high school that had the highest concentration of black students and was busing only black students to white schools. Jerry recalls it being terrible times. After graduating Grand Valley State University in 1975, Jerry would work for GRPS for the next 35 years as a physical education teacher, tennis coach at Creston High, and a principal. Jerry was inducted to the Michigan High School Tennis Coaches Hall of Fame in 2020. Now, I have to share with you that when I was given Jerry's name to contact because I was told he was one of the South High students forced to bus to a white school, I was expecting to talk to an African-American man when I opened up Zoom. Jerry is white. His family was one of the few white families who lived in Grand Rapids' southeast side, where most black families lived. Listen on for Jerry's unique recounting of someone who was white and lived through busing and Grand Rapids' racial integration plan. So I went to Jefferson Elementary School, which was majority African-American, and it was a wonderful experience. That was through the sixth grade. Then I went to what was called South High School at the time, and it was a seventh through 12th grade school. And I guess you would call the seventh through ninth grade the junior high. After I went there through my freshman year, the Grand Rapids Public Schools had set up a, a plan for busing for integration. And so South High School was a majority African-American school. And so they had some boundaries that they made where most of the kids that were white, they went to Burton Junior High and they were bused mostly to Central. And then I was on the north side of the railroad tracks, which meant that the majority of the kids that would go to South were African-American also. And so I was on the northern side of the railroad tracks, which may, meant that everybody that was on the north side, there was another couple of boundaries that I didn't know what they were about. My boundary was that I got bused to Union 
And at that time, Union was very majority white school and it was brand new, brand new building. And so that was in the fall of 1968. And so I spent my sophomore, junior and senior year at Union. And then I started at Grand Valley after that. And then four years later, when I graduated, I did get a job with the Grand Rapids Public Schools. My first year was as a security guard at Creston High School and a coach. I started in 1975 in the fall and I wasn't teaching. I was a security guard because that was the position they had. And the personnel director at that time was a teacher of my older brothers and my sister when they went to South. So he hired me as a security guard and I spent one year doing that. And then the next year I started teaching elementary physical education and I was called a consultant because we went from school to school. And from that time on, I was at, I would say at least 40 different schools in the Grand Rapids Public Schools. Elementary, phys ed teacher would go to a lot of schools. And you started kindergarten. That must have been, let me think here. I think I was 57. I remember my um, kindergarten teacher was Miss Williams. In first grade, I had Miss Golden. Second grade, Miss Dolzema. Third grade, Miss Dickinson. Fourth grade, Miss Rosalie. Fifth grade, Miss Burgout. And sixth grade, Miss White. And they were all wonderful people. The students there were mixed mixed people, white, black, Hispanic, Asian, and we really had a good time. And so it was Jefferson Elementary, and it was an old, old, like 1875 building that looked like a castle. Fire escapes and three stories up, and it was an interesting building. They since tore it down and, and put up a modern one. I lived on Fair Street, and it was an inner city school. And we just had a really good time in that neighborhood. I come from 11. I have 10 siblings. And mostly we just played outside all the time and had a good time. And our neighborhood had a good mix of ethnicity. So it was kind of fun growing up there. And then in 10th grade is when they started busing for integration. And I have a lot of mixed feelings about that Mm. because... I had a good time at South and all the coaches knew me. I thought I was going to have a a decent athletic career like my older brothers did at South. And that's when they started busing. And that's when um, I went to Union. And I remember the first bus ride I took for two-a-day practices at Union. It was me and a bunch of my friends, but they were all black and I was white. It wasn't a problem for them and it wasn't a problem for me. But when we got to the practice field, it was really strange because we knew no one. We never met the coaches or anything like that. And then when school started, I got on the bus for the first time to travel over across town to school, not practice, but to school. And there were two white people on the bus, me and I don't know if I tell her name, but me and another girl that lived on my street, but it was fine. You know, it was no problem. We knew each other. We grew up together. And so when we pulled up into the teacher's parking lot with the bus, 
and there are a bunch of buses in big black letters across the brand new brick on that school it said inward go home inward go home i'm like what so we walked in the building and there was a group of white guys standing watching us come in and it just ticked me off really bad so i'm like what are you looking at and they didn't say anything which is good and we just kept on walking but that day probably in the afternoon was the first race fight i wouldn't call it a riot i don't think there were that many people there but it was broken up quickly but it was the beginning of some bad stuff so we had a few of those that first year where blacks and whites fought against each other i was never involved in any of them i didn't get involved with any of it and so you know i went there three years and my senior year the white kids had a sit in on the front lawn i came to school on the bus i didn't know anything about it but they had met earlier they claimed that the girls weren't protected enough because when they went in the bathroom a couple of them got in fights or whatever and uh, so the entire white population of that school was sitting on the front lawn at Union High School and i remember a couple of the white kids the black kids didn't know what was going on i didn't know what was going on and so the the black kids went into school and on the other side of the school where they they really couldn't see what was going on in the, on the front of the lawn and so they came in and they went to their classrooms and nobody was there and so they all congregated at the front of the school not all of them but a lot of them and i remember one of them was my neighbor her name was Diane and she came walking across the front lawn and somebody called her the n-word and without even hesitating at all she ran she sprinted towards that crowd of 400 people and just started swinging and so then all of the black kids that were over by the front door they came running and it was just like a war and so there was a line and on one side the black kids on one side the white kids and in the middle by this time the cops had shown up cops from everywhere around grand rapids the suburbs and i mean rockford kentwood even as far away as muskegon they came and they had police helicopters up above too and so my brother and i are standing on the hill on the i guess it would be it would be the west side of the building of the front lawn and it was a pretty good sized hill so we were standing there just watching just couldn't believe it they would clash and then the police would spray them all with mace and they get away and they come back clash again it lasted quite a long while and so that was what caused our school to close down for about 2 weeks and then we all had to come in and get id cards and there were at that time there were two police at every door 
for the last, I would say, half a month or last month of school. And so that's how my senior year ended. And so what I think they should have done, and I don't know, I think my wife thought of that for, for me the first time, was maybe they should have started with like integrating some kindergartners and let them go up before they have all of this stuff taught to them, all this hate taught to them. And I didn't have the hate taught to me. I had the love taught to me. So I just look at it as it was a big mistake that even though you look back and it cost the Grand Rapids Public Schools a lot of people because from that day on, from that year on, the white population especially moved out of the city, mm. uh, went to private schools. And so our public school enrollment um, was just took a nosedive to the point where now there's only Ottawa Hills. And then you were saying that after this, shortly afterwards, a lot of the white families moved out of Grand Rapids, started attending private schools. That's really good to know. So this was national news. Okay. I know there was a race riot in the city in 67. Yep. Now I lived in the inner city. So when that happened, when the riots were there, a lot of people were saying, get out, get out, go, go stay somewhere else. Never had any trouble. Nobody ever bothered us. My dad was so well known because he would fix any kid's bike, any kid's anything. He would fix them all. If somebody messed with our family, man, our neighborhood would take care of us. This is right during the middle of the riots. And there was a, it's like martial law. Everybody had to stay inside the house and, you know, so I'm down in the inner city and across the street from us is a parking lot that has um, a cement wall that's about 20 feet high and 30 feet long. And so I got my tennis racket and tennis ball. I'm hitting tennis balls against the wall. And so a police car pulled into the parking lot, two shotguns out the back window with two guys and then two in the front and one shotgun out the window. They pull up in the parking lot and they said, what are you doing here, boy? And I said, I'm playing tennis. And they said, I mean, what are you doing here? And I said, that's my house. And they said, oh, get in it. It was terrible times. My family never had any trouble with anybody bothering us. So can you talk a little bit more about your family? I mean, you said that you're in a primarily Black neighborhood. Can you tell me a little bit more about your family background? What did your mom and dad do? What was the socioeconomic status of the neighborhood? Our neighborhood was low economic okay. status. My dad was a custodian at Wyoming Public Schools. And my mom was a take care of the kids woman because she had 11 of them. <laughs> and so both of my parents graduated from Grand Rapids Baptist Bible Institute for their college, for their degrees in theology. And then my dad was affiliated with Wealthy Street Baptist Church. But after he got his degree, his first, like he would get up and warm up the parishioners for Dr. Fuller, who was the 
Maine minister. And my dad said, God loves and blesses everyone. And that was his theme of his, I guess, sermon. And he was out the next day. They kicked him out. But he took a lot of folks with him. And so he started a group. And this group only met in homes. We only we just studied the Bible and never had a building. But he never took a cent for preaching and he was he was the leader of the group and so the rest of my family that's what my parents were they had classes almost every night where they would go to people's homes and and read the bible and interpret and stuff like that my parents didn't have a lot of money my first year teaching i made more than my dad did and he had been on the job for 35 years I'm wondering when was it that growing up that you felt racially conscious, that you were like aware that you were white and that you were in a black neighborhood or that when you started to feel any kind of racial tension? Yeah, when I was at Union, I think this year was my, it might have been my senior year or junior, I'm not sure. But what happened was there was a kid that was from South black kid he was standing at double doors that lead down to the gym and so i go through the double door and he stops me he says you got to give me a quarter to, to get through these doors and i said norman i don't have a quarter you know that <laughs> and so he said go on bentley and then the next guy that came through was a football player that i played with he was the defensive end, and I was the linebacker behind him. And he, he was a big guy. And so Norman said, you got to give me a quarter to get through this door. And so this big guy said, no, get out of my way. Put his arm like that. Norman was not big. And Norman just jumped on his back and started hitting him. And so... I'm trying to break it up a little bit. Then three or four white kids come, then a couple black kids come. And so it's a, it's a pretty good fight. And all I did was try to break it up. And so the principal called me into the office and asked me what happened. I told him exactly what happened. And the next day, I didn't take the bus to school that day. I had a friend that lived pretty on our side of town. He gave me a ride that day. And so I got to school and I, I got my lunch bag in my hand and I noticed that the whole front hall in front of the cafeteria is wall-to-wall black kids. And so I'm saying hi to some of them and walking through. And this one kid who was a friend of mine, he came up to me and he grabbed me by the collar like that and he hit me. And so I tackled him down and the whole crowd of the black kids kind of got on me. And one, one kid had a pipe wrench and he hit me in the head with a pipe wrench about three, three, four times. And then the only reason I knew it was a pipe wrench is because one of my white friends came up and was trying to break, get people off of me. And so then Mr. C, one of our teachers, 
he came up and he got everybody off me and he grabbed me, put him around his arm. He was a big, big man. And then everybody dispersed and he took me down to the office. And then one of my friends that saw the whole thing, he said, what about him? He's got a pipe wrench. He hit Jerry with it. And Mr. C, he said, I'm just getting Jerry to safety. And so that was profound for me. It was like, man, that was Sam. Sam was my friend. And so a couple of days later, I'm driving. I mean, maybe I was going to the store. I was driving my brother's car to the store and walking down the street on Jefferson Street, I see Sam and he's got his tennis shoes over his shoulders. That means he's going to the Youth Commonwealth, the Seedman Center, which was like a kid's center that had basketball courts, ping pong, pool, all that kind of stuff. And he saw me and he started running. And so I said, wait, Sam, wait. And so he came back. I said, I'm not mad at you. I know why you did it. I know they made you do it. And I understand why they did it because they considered me at that time kind of like a snitch. They figured I shouldn't have said anything. And I understand that. But what was done was done. Sam had his hand wrapped. When he hit me, he broke his hand. That's what he told me. I said, what's wrong with your hand? He said, that's, that's the one I hit you with. And he got in my car. I drove him to Seaman Center. And we've been good ever since. I don't know how I would have done anything different. Mm -hmm. I might not have said anything. Oh, your story, they're just incredible. I'm amazed. But I guess in the remaining time, is there anything else you would want the public to learn about given your time and experience in GRPS? One of my best friends right now, best Facebook friends, was a student at Sigsby. And he was in the third grade when I first started. And his first day at gym, he's the first one in line. He comes running in the gym, screaming and yelling and just, he was so happy <laughs> to be in that gym. And like I said before, he, now he's a very successful businessman. He's a wonderful person. But that first day he came running in the gym like that. I asked him what his name, what's your name? Victor. And so I said, Victor, you can't run around like that in the gym. We're going to do some good stuff you got to sit down on this line. He said, okay. <laughs> he sat on that line and he was the wildest kid, but he just was having fun. And so was I. And the reason why I was successful in that situation, I think, is because of my experiences and because of how my parents raised me. The first question you asked me, I thought it had something to do with, like I was thinking about superintendents in the Grand yeah, Rapids yeah. And so I would say the three best superintendents mm -hmm. that I worked under were local. Phil Ronco was local. And the latest local one, oh yeah, Elmer Vrujink. He was very good, but he was only an interim. And then there was Pat Sandro. He was pretty good. Okay. But for my money, Teresa Weatherall-Neal, she went to Grand Rapids Public Schools. She worked as like a teacher's aide in the schools, went back to school 
and she became the superintendent of our schools. And for my money, she was amazing. And she did a, just a tremendous job moving our district up like no one else. So I, I was very proud that she came from our roots and she made it to the pinnacle and she did a wonderful job. That's awesome. That's great. I just want to thank you so much, Jerry, for your time and your incredible stories and your service to uh, Grand Rapids. Thank you for all the years of dedication and commitment to young people. It's been fun. Thanks for listening. Before we go, I want to thank Amanda Enka, a graduate student in communications at Grand Valley State University for her skillful editing, podcast cover art, and the title of this podcast series.